Welcome to the Chiropractors Association of Australia podcast. The CAA is the peak body representing chiropractors in Australia. Hosted by Dr. Anthony Coxon, these podcasts explore the science, art, philosophy and politics of chiropractic, as well as the latest research and how chiropractors can strive for excellence in practice. Welcome to another edition of the Chiropractors Association of Australia podcast. Now, if you're like me as a chiropractor or manual therapist, you probably consider uh, the body more holistically than just purely uh, a bag of bones and muscles. And uh, perhaps we think in terms of stress, uh, think in terms of prevention, and certainly think in terms of nutrition and supplementation. Uh, these are all important factors when we're dealing uh, with a holistic human being and I'm sure, like me, uh, practitioners out there would have had many examples where people have done surprisingly well with their back pain, inflammatory conditions, etc. when they've made uh, simple but potent changes to diet or use some form of supplementation. Well, today we're going to be speaking to a real expert in particularly one of the most common forms of supplementation, and that being magnesium. Uh, I'm talking about uh, Professor Jürgen Vorman, who's uh, not only an, excellent, uh, an expert in magnesium, but also an acid-base balance. So we're going to learn a little bit about that today. It's also a great little preview for those who are fortunate enough to be coming to the CAA AGM conference in Canberra in October. Uh, Professor Vorman will be one of the um, keynote speakers at that event, and I'm sure he'll go into uh, into magnesium and acid-based balance in great depth. Uh, but for today, uh, just to give you a little bit of background of uh, uh, Professor Vorman, he studied the science of nutrition at the University of Hohenheim Stuttgart in Germany, where he earned his doctorate in pharmacology and toxicology of nutrition. Professor Vorman's main work are in the areas of biochemistry and pathophysiology and pharmacology uh, of the active ingredients in foods and also acid-base metabolism. He's head of the Institute for the Prevention of Nutrition in Munich, Germany. Uh, he was the president of the German Society for Magnesium Research. He was chairman of the Gordon Research Conference titled Magnesium in Biochemical Processes and Medicine in the USA. And he's also on the advisory board of various nutrition organizations. Hi, Professor Vorman, and uh, thank you for taking part in the CA podcast. Hi, it's great to be with you. Well, soon we'll have the pleasure of uh, meeting you face to face, but uh, whereabouts in the world are you right now? Well, I'm sitting in my institute in uh, Ismaning, that's a suburb of Munich, Germany. And this is where you've done uh, a lot of, obviously, your, uh, or close to a lot of your studies and, and do your work. Tell it, perhaps for our CA podcast listeners, give us a little bit of background uh, about yourself and uh, how you got into uh, mineral research and human health. Yes. Um, after studying science of nutrition, I uh, moved from Stuttgart to the Free University Berlin. Uh, where I worked in the preclinical research area at the Institute of Molecular Biology and Biochemistry. And uh, during that time, uh, already I was very much engaged in research on minerals, especially magnesium, 
We worked on transport uh, systems, how magnesium is regulated and effects of mineral deficiencies in, in cellular systems. But then I, uh, I moved from there and, and came to, to Munich here and founded uh, my uh, own institute where we are doing clinical research and also basic research uh, for, uh, again, on, on especially on uh, substances that are uh, usual food ingredients but have some pharmacological potential. You mentioned uh, magnesium. Of course, this is an area of your expertise. Uh, so let's talk about that first. Um, how important is magnesium? Uh, do we need to supp supplement? And, and if so, why? Well, magnesium is extremely important because it has a numerous function in, in our body. There is nearly no process that is not somehow in, um, dependent on sufficient magnesium. For example, uh, magnesium is the cofactor of the ATP, and that means the all energy systems in our body that are connected to ATP also need magnesium, as ATP is only active as a magnesium ATP complex. The problem with magnesium is that our current diet is relatively low in magnesium, and so the risk to uh, to, to slide into magnesium deficiency is relatively high, especially if you're also uh, taking certain drugs, widespread, uh, widespread use drugs like uh, diuretics, uh, like proton pump inhibitors. All these drugs lead to a significant increase in magnesium needs because we are, they, they waste magnesium from the body. And so it is assumed that roughly in our populations, one-third of the population is magnesium deficient. So for the chiropractor out there, I guess we, we would typically use magnesium for musculoskeletal reasons, perhaps for cervicogenic headaches and those sorts of things. Um, do we need to test for magnesium deficiency or is it, is it a sensible clinical approach to put someone on a, on, a, on a trial of magnesium to see how that influences the, their, their symptoms? Or what other things should we look at, be looking at and thinking of when we're, we're thinking of potential magnesium deficiency? Well, with magnesium, it's unfortunately a little complicated. Of course, it makes sense to, uh, to measure magnesium, serum magnesium concentration. And if the serum magnesium concentration is low, then there is for sure magnesium deficit. However, uh, a normal serum magnesium concentration does not exclude magnesium deficiency, as only small amounts of magnesium, only 1% is in the blood, 99% is in, in the skeleton and in, in the bones. And so um, under certain stress conditions, some of this magnesium is released into the blood and then you have an artificial increase uh, of uh, the ex extracellular magnesium concentration that hides a, a real magnesium deficit. So in my opinion, it really makes sense when you have um, a usual patient with, with, with a not so good diet and also taking uh, 
these medications that I that I mentioned that uh, you simply give magnesium a try and uh, supplement magnesium for at least uh, a month and then uh, with and then have a look if uh, the, the, the symptoms improved an argument that someone often put will put forward when we talk about supplementation they'll uh, is commonly well why don't they just improve their diet can you get a good enough source from uh, magnesium from the diet um, if so uh, what sort of food should be eating or should you be eating um, or is it the case where just the with farming practices and for other reasons uh, the, the the richness of magnesium is less in food today than what it might have been 50 or 100 years ago? Uh, this is surely the case. Um, the, the, the grains, for example, contain less magnesium than in former times. And so um, the problem also is we, we are eating a lot of processed foods and the, the processing itself uh, reduces the uh, amount of magnesium in the food. For example, if you cook a potato, you extract 50% uh, of the magnesium uh, into the cooking water, uh, what is usually thrown away. And so, so we, we, have a, we have a problem with magnesium for sure, as uh, well, generally the, the studies show that the intake uh, of magnesium is much below recommendations. So if we come to the conclusion that uh, a patient does need a magnesium supplementation, what should, be, what should we be looking for in the product? Is it, um, and what sort of doses are ideal? Well, of course, there are many products on the market. However, uh, they, they, um, some are good and some are not so good. The, the point is, uh, magnesium is not very well absorbed. That means uh, you need to take a magnesium supplement that has a very good bioavailability. And uh, the best bioavailability has been shown for magnesium citrates. So uh, if you supplement magnesium, be sure to take magnesium uh, citrates. Uh, and the dose is also important. Um, the minimum dose I would recommend is 300 milligrams of magnesium on a daily basis. Um, but easily you can uh, in increase that. Up we did studies where we used up to 600 milligrams magnesium daily, especially in, in patients, for example, with migraine. Uh, and then we could reduce the incidence of uh, migraine attacks uh, significantly. You mentioned about uh, how people who are on diuretics or protein pump inhibitors and so forth are more likely to need magnesium uh, as a supplement. What about um, magnesium's interaction with other drugs? Are there, are there certain cases where people on certain medications shouldn't be taking magnesium or at least should be uh, having conversations with their uh, general practitioner or, or uh, other person as to how the magnesium might interact with particular medications? Um, there is some interaction with some antibiotics, so, uh, but this is not very problematic as simply uh, take the magnesium some hours apart 
from the antibiotics and then the, there is no problem with interactions. There is another interaction, of course, that is, might be important, that's the uh, interaction with calcium. If you take a high-dose magnesium supplement, uh, this will somehow inhibit also the calcium uptake in the gut uh, and vice versa. That means uh, to take calcium and magnesium in high dosages uh, simultaneously um, does not make uh, too much sense. It should also be some hours apart that uh, there is no interaction in, in calcium or on, on uh, magnesium absorption uh, in the intestines. Very, very good. Now, your other area of expertise is acid-base balance. Tell us a little bit about this um, and why it's so important. Well, working with minerals um, is, is then you're very close also to acid-base balance. This acid-base balance aspect has been, well, I would say, more or less been forgotten uh, in nutrition sciences. Uh, but now uh, we now recognize that this is an extremely important part of, of our diet. The acid-base balance uh, is extremely important for many, also for many physiological processes. The pH must be kept extremely constant in the blood. And for that, we have uh, various buffering substances. And so the pH in the blood does not, not, not change significantly. However, our buffering reservoirs, they, they can be changed, uh, especially when we eat a very acidic diet, what we usually do now in our Western societies. We have a lot of protein, and, and uh, the protein uh, gives us a lot of uh, sulfur-containing amino acids, and to get rid of this sulfur is the only way that we can excrete it as sulfuric acid. So this is the acid burden uh, of our diet, and... Uh, well, we have to, to uh, get rid of that, and for that, we need the kidney. And the problem with our kidney function is that this kidney function declines when we are aging. Uh, we lose 1% of kidney function every year, starting at about age 25, meaning that when you're aged, you already have lost one kidney, and then you lose the ability to get rid of an acid surplus from the from the body and you slide into the problem of latent acidosis. So what's the best way for a clinician to, to, to um, discover if their patient has an acid-base balance problem? Is there standard or gold standard tests, blood tests, urine analysis or something that you would look at in terms of determining that? Well, there is a gold standard test. Unfortunately, this is not very convenient. That's a measuring of the, the uh, acidity of the 24-hour urine samples. The, yeah, but you have to titrate the acids. It's not the free acid. In, in urine, 99% of uh, the acid is not excreted as uh, free acid. 
but as bound acid. That means when you simply measure the pH of the urine, this fluctuates very much and does not give you very good uh, results. A little better is uh, when you have the, the data from the blood uh, available uh, to determine the anion gap. That's a possibility. However, that's also not very convenient. But uh, so then you have to look at the patient and uh, have a look what they what their diet is, and, and you have to uh, estimate the um, acid load by the diet. And of course, you have to look at symptoms as an, an overacidification uh, very often. Uh, leads to problems, especially in, in the uh, connective tissue, because the structure of the connective tissue is changed when there is a small uh, over-acidification. So clearly, the, uh, in the standard Western diet, the, if there's going to be a problem, it's far more likely that people will go onto the acid side of pH, but is it possible that people can be too alkaline, and and if so, does uh, does that need to be addressed? Well, in the, in the evolution, usually uh, the diet in our Stone Age uh, ancestors uh, was uh, had an alkaline surplus. So uh, for our kidney, it's it's no problem to excrete an alkaline burden. So uh, this is this is really without any problems. It's much more problematic to get rid of uh, the acid surplus. Okay, that's very that's very interesting. How do we go then in terms of um, say diets like, for example, a paleo diet? Um, that's uh, typically a higher meat eating diet. You know, some people certainly. Um, uh, a, a strong advocates for, for that style of eating. What's, what's your comment on, on the paleo diet? Um, I'm not too much in favor of the paleo diet because usually the protein intake is very high. If you compensate this high protein intake with a lot of alkalines from, from vegetables and fruits then it's on, and salads, well, then it's okay. However, you need really to eat a lot of vegetables. Roughly, you need four times uh, the, the amount of fruits and vegetables, especially vegetables, than the, uh, the, the amount of meat. So one, uh, 100 gram uh, or 200 grams of a steak must be accompanied with 800 grams of vegetable. And... Mm, I don't. I doubt that most of people do that. Well, it sounds like if you're going to go paleo, then you need to definitely go light on the meat in that case, and and heavy on the vegetables. It's it's a bit hard to go uh, wrong with your diet if you have That's a right. very heavy vegetable diet. That's right. Now let's let's talk a little bit about um, and not necessarily dairy per se, but but calcium. Um, it seems to be clear that um, osteoporosis is a rather common disorder and it's not necessarily uh, more common in countries that have low dairy intakes. In fact, often it's the opposite. Um, just tell me what you're, you're quite familiar with this topic. 
calcium and osteoporosis, or is osteoporosis generally a calcium deficiency in the diet? Um, well, first, um, osteoporosis is for sure not a milk deficiency uh, symptom, and it is also not really a calcium deficiency problem. The problem with osteoporosis is that uh, a slight over acidification, a, a small metabolic acidosis uh, activates those cells that uh, release minerals uh, from, from the bones, the osteoclasts. In fact, there's no system, no substance that activates osteoclasts more than a slight change more into the um, acidic uh, direction. So, um, to get to, to, to have a solution to the problem of um, osteoporosis, you need to get rid of this uh, overacidification by enough alkalines in your diet or alkaline supplementation. And only when you have uh, normalized the pH system, then you can uh, take or you, the, the, the uptake of, of calcium into the bone um, is, is, uh, is possible. So um, calcium loss from the bone is a result of a loss of buffers from the bone and the buffers are needed to compensate for that uh, overacidification we have due to our acidic diet. So as a consequence, just to supplement calcium to get rid of osteoporosis uh, is, is um, well, not enough. You first have to solve the uh, acid-base balance problem and then you should you are able to uh, have an uptake of calcium into the bone and i guess as you said earlier just purely going to supplement calcium may create a magnesium pro uh, absorption problem that's exactly the the, the case uh, just by taking calcium uh, well you slide into the magnesium problem so, well, it sounds sometimes uh, easy with all the minerals, but the interactions are, are quite complicated and many mistakes are made with, with supplementation in that case. Well, Jürgen, I don't think the, the dairy industry will be happy with your explanation on osteoporosis there, but uh, it's always good to get the facts, isn't it? <laughs> I agree, yes. Um, now, talking a little bit more about the acid-base balance, um, this is a, a big factor in pain and, and chronic inflammation. Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, it is now known that our pain receptors are mainly so-called ASICs. That means acid-sensing ion channels. And that means uh, just by small changes in the uh, acidity uh, surrounding the cells, uh, will lead to opening of these pain channels. So what can we do? Uh, of course, we can take some medications that block these, trans these, these channels. However, uh, what is much more effective to have more, um, more buffering substances in the surrounding to avoid these uh, pain problems. 
and uh, especially also pain in, in, in patients with, for example, uh, low back pain problems uh, can be solved just by alkaline uh, supplementation or changing the diet in, in a more alkaline direction. We did studies on that and they were uh, quite successful just by changing uh, the environment uh, of the cells into a slightly more alkaline direction improve uh, the pain problems significantly. So let's talk about headaches then. Um, magnesium can be helpful for people who have chronic headaches. Is that for the same reason that you've just outlined with your pain description there, or, or is there another reason? Well, with magnesium, uh, I would say, yes, there, there are two aspects. When you supplement, for example, the magnesium citrate, you have two aspects. You have an alkaline supplementation due to the citrates, and you have the magnesium. And both work into the, into the same direction, improving uh, the, the pain problems in, in these uh, patients. One hand, the pain uh, is attacked by, by the alkaline substances. And on the other hand, it is known that uh, magnesium deficiency uh, could overstimulate neurons. And so uh, by giving enough magnesium, you can calm these effects and, and meaning uh, at the end uh, there are less pain problems, less migraine attacks. So um, in, in, in some headache organizations, especially in Canada, for example, uh, it is claimed that uh, all patients should be supplemented or migraine patients should be supplemented uh, with magnesium first. And then if uh, there's still problems, of course, you can add other uh, pain medications. Now, I don't like to use the word uh, uh, super mineral, but it, it sounds like if there was a super mineral, ma magnesium might fit into that uh, category because it's also helpful in uh, anti-aging and also improving reproduction. Is that correct? That's absolutely the case, yes. Um, there are studies, especially from Australia, that show uh, in, in aging you can... Uh, avoid uh, problems with dementia uh, simply by having a very high magnesium intake. So these are ongoing studies, but uh, they're really interesting that by just changing the intake of this uh, mineral, you have a very protective effect. And on the other hand, uh, also magnesium is, of course, uh, extremely important for, for the developing uh, human beings in, in pregnancy, magnesium should be supplemented. In Germany, uh, I would say, we have new data on that, that uh, really all pregnant women uh, should be supplemented with magnesium to avoid uh, pregnancy problems, to avoid pregnancy-induced hypertension. And uh, also there we did a study that really convincingly showed that you can really avoid all problems with pregnancy-induced hypertension just by giving magnesium. So it's relatively easy and safe. Magnesium does not do any harm to the body. 
And so uh, why not use that chance? It just goes to show what a wonderfully uh, global society we live in when a, an expert biochemist from Germany is telling us about the research that's happening in our own backyard in Australia. Thank you so much for that, Jürgen. You're welcome. Well, look, we really you thank you for uh, just introducing us to the topic of uh, acid-base balance and discovering more about uh, a mineral that many of us uh, already use but uh, might start using just a little bit more and particularly in uh, the format and the doses that you've talked about. Um, you'll of course be talking at the uh, CAA conference which will be 21-22 uh, uh, October in Canberra. So for, uh, for the podcast listeners, if you haven't already organized registration, then get to it. Uh, Jürgen, thank you so much for uh, taking time out uh, of your busy day to, to speak to the CA podcast listeners. So thank you and goodbye. And I'm very much looking forward to visit Australia soon. Well, we're certainly looking forward to meeting you and uh, I'll definitely be uh, sitting in on your lectures uh, there. So thank you once again. Well, that's it for me. Uh, thanks for listening to today's podcast. Go forward with passion and purpose, and I look forward to chatting with you again on our next CAA podcast.